it is really interesting to me how um, how well the songs that are selected this morning go with the sermon itself. And if you weren't here last week, uh, just by way of reminder, Jesus in Mark chapter 7 is talking about uh, the tradition of elders versus the heart of the people keeping those traditions. Jesus is being challenged. Really, they, they're challenging Jesus by challenging his disciples, and they want to know why they're not washing their hands. That's what we talked about last week. And what they really mean is the ceremonial cleansing that made you clean from any exposure to Gentile influence or unclean things. Uh, He wanted to know why they weren't washing their hands. In fact, I want you to look at verse 5 because that's going to be relevant for us today of chapter 7. It says, And the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands. So the Pharisees had walked 90 miles to come ask this question. They wanted to know, why are your disciples not following the rules? And so we talked about that last week and how powerful legalism is. And Jesus quotes Isaiah when he says, these This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And I can see, and I think you can see, I hope all of us, it's just apparent immediately when you hear words like that, that there are people who can say the right things and do the right things, but their heart is somewhere else, completely, completely disengaged from what they're doing. This issue of, just doing on the outside the things necessary to keep all of you convinced that I'm a pretty good person and I'm doing all the right things. That's what Jesus is saying the Pharisees are doing. In other places, he calls them whitewashed sepulchers, which is King James for really pretty painted tombs. You have this really pretty facade, but on the inside, you're filled with dead men's bones. This is a horrible accusation from Jesus, the creator of the universe, to tell you, you look good on the outside, but on the inside, I know what you are. You are rotten. You are gross. You are a hypocrite. That's how he talks in Matthew. So that's where we were last week about how legalism works, and we we finished up talking about um, God giving us all things richly to enjoy, and that God does not want us trapped in a system of just trying to do all these minuscule right things and wrong things and tally them up as if that is what we're offering to God as our service of acceptance to Him. But a lot of Christians, especially in the Bible Belt, that's the way we've been trained. Here's all the rules. Here's all the things you're supposed to do. The problem with some of those rules is that they're attached to actual biblical truth. So sometimes it gets real murky. Has anybody experienced the murkiness of the tradition versus the commandment of God, which Jesus is saying is good? Because verse 8, he says, you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. So he's saying the commandment of God is good, you shouldn't leave it. 
the tradition of man is not good. You shouldn't hang on to that. And the Pharisees had lopsided it so badly that the tradition of man, the washing piously of the hands, was more important than the reason God gave those ceremonial laws. By the way, go all the way back to the November sermon, the ceremonial law was really for the priests before they prepared the sacrifice. And there were ceremonial washings, but by the time it gets to the first century in Jesus' day, they want Elisha to do the same thing as a good Jewish girl in the community. She's got to wash her hands a certain way. They take a scripture uh, that dealt with Aaron's priesthood and several hundred, well, thousand years later, they want you to do it this extra special way. This is how legalism works. Legalism does not provide life. It provides a bunch of things to do. And as long as you do them, you're okay. So legalism is a two-edged sword that is incredibly wicked because it also makes you feel like, I'm okay. This is, the, this is the horrible thing. Not only are you a shriveled up prune of a person when you're stuck in legalism, uh, and you're not richly enjoying the good things that God has given. On the other hand, you think because of what you're doing, you're okay. You're good. You get dangerously close, and sometimes not just dangerously, but all the way, you, you fall into the error of thinking that you are the source of your own righteousness. I don't go to rated R movies, but you do. Anybody know what I'm talking about, Bible Belt people? I don't say cuss words. I heard you say one. You clearly are several levels below me in your spiritual walk with God. How many of you know that feeling? I'm just, I'll be honest, I know that feeling very, very well. I, I remember thinking that if somebody said a cuss word, and I'm not advocating for cussing, okay, can I make that clear? I'm not like, here's a positive sermon on the value of cursing. That's not what I'm doing. What I'm saying is, though, that the rule of that could become such a thing that uh, I, growing up, if, if I heard you cuss, like, I, I don't cuss. I'm clearly am more holy than you. I'm, I'm better than you, in fact. It's obvious that I am because I am keeping these rules and you aren't. You're terrible. Now, I didn't say that because I knew that you're not supposed to say that. So I didn't. I just kept that and treasured it in my heart. The special place where legalism lives, which will make more sense as we read our text for this morning. So let's read verses 14 through 23. Legalism is deadly. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach 
and is expelled, thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. I want to pray right here, and then we'll dive in to this text. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, and we ask this morning that you would help us understand this. God, that we would not get in a ditch one way or the other, on the side of, let's just do whatever we want because of grace, or the side that says, we've got a lot of rules to keep. Lord, I pray that we would be people who love righteousness and recognize that you have given us your righteousness, not by works, lest any man should boast. Lord, help us this morning. Teach us by the Spirit and help me to communicate. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, legalism here in this passage that we're reading, I've got here in my notes, it is really a distraction from what true evil is. Now, what is true evil in this passage? Jesus is saying, it's not what goes in that defiles you. Because under the system of the purity laws and the covenant laws of Israel, the the mindset is easy to develop that it's what is coming in or what I'm around. Gentiles, dead bodies, cemeteries, Gotta, I got to keep myself clean, non-kosher foods, can't have bacon, can't have pork chops, just, oh Lord, uh, can't, can't have these things, got to do it a certain way, the, the, all of that, uh, can't mix fabrics, uh, all, of the, all of the laws that were specific to Israel can create this idea of all the holiness and all the purity is up to you, and you got to keep this law. And that's the way they had to do it. And Jesus is saying, what goes into your body, the food that you eat, or the food that you ate with unwashed hands, that is not what is creating the sinful defilement. What is creating the sinful defilement? What is the root of the evil here? The answer is actually not easy for us to even say out loud. Let me just say what Jesus said in verse 21. For from within, out of the heart of man comes, and then he lists all those sins. What is the source of the evil? Does anybody have a mirror? Uh, Does anybody have a mirror? You you just look look in the mirror. Our hearts are the source of the evil. Do you notice he doesn't even say it's the devil? It's you! (laughs) This is why we don't like this particular teaching necessarily. The source of the evil, Jesus is saying, for from within, out of the heart of man come these things. It's not the food that you ate with the hand washing incorrect. Mr. Pharisee, 
The problem is inside of you, like he tells them in Matthew, filled with dead men's bones. What's inside of you is broken and wrong. We have a popular saying in the church, something to the effect of, God knows my heart, which means I can do whatever I want because God knows deep down inside I'm a good person. Anybody ever heard this before? Anybody ever work in youth ministry before? There's Homer and Rob. You ever hear a teenager say, I can, I can, uh, I can do this thing because God knows my heart. Raise my hand if you have heard that or said it. God knows my heart. I, he, it's okay for me to sin this way. It's, it's totally fine. He knows deep down inside I'm good. Actually, Jesus doesn't know deep down inside you're good. Because what Jesus says is, deep down inside, that's where the evil is coming from. Isn't that exciting? This doesn't get all the amens that it should, but this, this is what Jesus said. You are the source of the problem. Now, the devil is not making any of you do these things. Let's, let's read Jesus' list. Sexual immorality, evil thoughts, theft, murder, <laughs> adultery, coveting, wanting other stuff, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander. That means talking bad about other people. Pride. There isn't a one of you in here that hasn't been guilty of that more than five million times in your life. Foolishness, and who knows how many times we've been guilty of that. All these evil things come from within. Thank you, Jesus, for this encouraging word. You, me, the evil, the problem is us. The devil doesn't make people commit sin. He entices you to do what you already want to do. What is wrong with you that you want to listen to the being who was kicked out of heaven? Why do you more easily relate to Him than the commandment of God? In our minds, we are like a tragic hero figure. Just, just victim. We're just a victim all the time. We're a victim of the way we grew up. We're a victim of the way we were tempted. We were a victim of the way of whatever. We, we have this mentality that it's not really our fault. There's these other factors. Honest to goodness, our generation is really good at this. We have developed cottage industries to explain away our sinfulness. You're not really sinful. You had this abuse and this trauma and this thing and these issues and this chemical imbalance and this and this. So clearly it's not your fault. Jesus just doesn't talk this way at all, ever. That's not to deny that there are issues in our lives that are the result of things that have happened to us. I'm, I'm not denying that. I think Christian psychology can help us identify, okay, these things happened in my life. I should not let these things dictate who I am today. And now, and now I can get some help to identify those things and overcome. That would be the idea. 
not, let me just identify these things that give me an excuse to be this person that I am. Can we see the difference between the two? Jesus says it's from within. Jesus is not the... This is not the only place this shows up in the Bible. I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 5. Because really, Jesus is giving here the essence of the gospel. And I will tell you, this really did... This idea that I am a wretched sinner filled with wickedness really helped me be free of legalism. Really helped me be free of I'm not measuring up. Really, really helped me be free of that. And I've got a long way to go. I'm not like Mr. Freedom up here today, uh, free of all vestiges of legalism or trying to prove myself to God. I fight with that all the time to keep the rules the right way. But knowing that I am wicked in my heart and need a Savior is hopefully by the end of the sermon you'll see what I'm saying. Look at Romans chapter 5 verse 12. Therefore just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin and so death spread to all men because all sinned. I'm not going to read all this. We'll get lost in it. But this is telling us that through Adam, the one man, sin entered the world and that created death for every person, including you and me. And all of us now are born in the sin. And not only were you born into it because of Adam, you also have done it over and over and over and over and over. You have committed sin against God. Sin, simply defined, is falling short of God's standard. Have you done that? Yes, a lot. Okay, go to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, verse 9. What then? Are we Jews any better off? He's having a discussion about Jews and Gentiles, the law and sin. He's, this is all part of the conversation. No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, that means all Gentiles, everybody on the earth, are under sin. As it is written, none is, <clears throat> excuse me, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Altogether they've become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. So Jesus said, where does this stuff come from? It comes from the inside of a person. Where did we get this way? We got this way because of Adam. And because of his sin. But not just because of that we were born into it. We've now, out of the nature of being a sinner, we have committed sin. And here, this is giving us a little bit of a clue, Paul does, to how depraved we are. No one understands and no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. When people make the argument 
that God can't send good people to hell, they're actually right. He's not going to send a single solitary good person to hell. There aren't any good people. There aren't any. They don't exist. If Romans chapter 3 is right, there is not one good person. But they did good things. Yes, they may have done acts of goodness. Are we, are we going to try to compare the acts of goodness to the acts of sin and transgression against God? But that is what we want to do. That is what we want to do. That's what makes sense to us. Let's measure up all the junk you've done. Let's measure up all the righteousness you've done. And that is why Paul is spending so much time in the book of Romans explaining you can't meet God's standard because it is perfection. You can't meet it because you are born separated from it. There is nothing you can do. And Jesus, 40 years prior to this, said, do you want to know where the wickedness is coming from? It's coming from you. Paul's just fleshing this out a little bit more. Go to Galatians chapter 3. There's a lot of scriptures we could go to. I just want you to see a couple. Because this really is the heart of the gospel, what we're reading today. Verse 21. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. This law of Moses, if there was anything that could cause a wicked-hearted sinner to cross over into righteousness, it would have been this law. There's a problem, though. This law exposes the sinfulness of our hearts. And it, well, let's read what it does. Verse 22, But the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. This is, I'm not going to lie, this becomes a, it's not a complicated argument, but it's a, it's not on the surface. You've got to kind of dig in here. But it, the, the glory of what the epistles are teaching is, the law was a guardian. It was a taskmaster. It was set in place to demonstrate you all can't do it. But this is the standard. And there's going to be thousands of years of Jewish existence not meeting the standard. Proving these people selected by God could not live up to the standard. Couldn't do it. And they had to go present the blood of bulls and goats on a regular basis to cleanse themselves of falling short of the standard. And that is what Paul is explaining in Galatians. If there was a law that could have done it, that could have erased the wickedness out of our hearts, this law would have done it. But the Scripture itself imprisons us under sin, not because the Scripture is trying to keep us as sinners, it reveals us as sinners. And so when you see, you are completely incapable of getting out of this mess on your own. The Scripture is what is imprisoning you in the sense that 
it is like a big light bulb showing that you can't do it. Super hopeful, isn't it? If you stop there, it's not very hopeful. And that's why, we, that's why the gospel does not stop there. The gospel goes on to tell us that the free gift comes from God through Jesus. And the reason we lift our hands in worship is because He did what we could not do. He did it, lived a sinless life, and fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law so He could give us the righteousness we could not get on our own. I'm skipping ahead, but just letting you know. But Paul is doing an argument, so he makes sure you understand you can't do it. You can't. Okay. The New Testament is not the only place this information exists. It's not as if God was not telling His people in the Old Testament the same thing. This is why they are without excuse. That's why we are without excuse. That's why the whole world is without excuse. Okay. Go to Isaiah. Well, Isaiah 29.13 is what Jesus quoted, but you can go there. And I use these verses as warnings to myself on a regular basis. Because once you've been a Christian a long time, you can be guilty of verse 13 pretty easily. And the Lord said, Because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. Jesus quoted this in Mark 7 to say the real problem is not that you don't know the right words. The real problem is not that you don't know the rules and the commandments. The real problem is is that your heart is wicked and it's far away. That's the real problem. Just out of curiosity, if you read verse 14, it doesn't seem like verse 14 follows verse 13. Therefore, behold, I will again do wondrous things with this people. That doesn't make sense to me. As a parent, I would not say, Hannah, because you have skipped school and gotten in fights this week, behold, I am buying you a car. Doesn't make sense, does it? That's what this is saying. Therefore, behold, I will again do wondrous things with this people, with wonder upon wonder. We'll get back to that in a second. God's goodness swooping in right at the point of our inability to do anything and our wickedness. We love Him because He first loved us. We weren't seeking God. He came and sought us. Jesus said, I came to seek and save the lost. Salvation is not you searching for God. God came and got you. It's completely different. It takes it out of us being in total charge. and You realize that God is God. And He is a God of love and a God of mercy. And does not leave us in our sinful condition. 
Go with me to Jeremiah 17. Just make a right, Isaiah, then we go to Jeremiah. The weeping prophet. This is a verse, if you have a teenager or a family member or a friend that says, God knows my heart, this is the verse that you should give them. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Our hearts in the Old Testament and in the New Testament are described as wicked and the source of the problem. The Old Testament, since we're already here, it also prophesies in advance what God's going to do about the condition of our heart. If Jesus said it was wicked, if Jeremiah says that it's wicked, if Isaiah says you can go through the motions but your heart be wicked, if that was the evidence of Israel over and over again, and it's the evidence of humanity all the time, we need help. So keep going to the right after Jeremiah is Ezekiel. Once you go to chapter 36. I want you to hear the glory of this text. (laughs) This is just one of the greatest passages in the Old Testament. Jeremiah 36, verse 22. Because this this is another passage that sounds like Hannah, because... You disobeyed, and because you didn't do what I said, and because you stole a bunch of stuff at the grocery store, I'm going to buy you a house. This is definitely one of those passages, but listen to the way that God says it. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. So we're not starting off good. You've profaned my name, Israel. You have done wickedly. Verse 23. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. Now, if you stopped right there, I would assume that the next verse is, I am going to blast all of you with a laser beam from heaven and destroy 98% of you and leave 2% as a warning for everybody else because you have profaned my name. That's what I would expect after reading the first couple of verses. But that is not what he says. They have profaned his name and God has got to rescue the reputation of his name because these are his people. So this is how he's going to do it. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you. You shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. 
I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey all my rules. That is what God's going to do to vindicate His name. He is going to give His people a new heart. Have you ever heard this verse before? He takes out the heart of stone and He puts in a heart of flesh. Can any of you think of when this prophetic word here to Ezekiel, when this takes place? It happens to the early church. It happens through the power of the Holy Spirit. It happens at the new birth. This promise is something you and I are living in. Peter says, and the book of Hebrews say, that the Old Testament saints longed for this, looking forward to it, and you and I live in it. We have been given a new heart in Christ. I'm going to keep reading. Verse 29. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God, and I will deliver you from all uncleanness, and I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. I will make the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field abundant, that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves for your iniquities and your abominations. For it is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord God. Let that be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. I think it is interesting the way the Bible talks versus the way we talk. We talk in such a way that we emphasize us. I love God, but really what I love is what God is going to do for me. And God loves us, but what God puts above even His love for Israel is the care and concern He has for His own name. God is glorified by rescuing sinners. God is concerned that the nations know, that the world know, that He saves sinners like you and me. The reason I said at the beginning of the service that we've got to get the Bible in our, in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives is because it doesn't talk like the world talks. It doesn't talk like even we may have grown up talking in church. Nobody ever told me that, that God was more concerned about Himself than He was about me. Everybody always told me God's main number one priority was me, which actually feels pretty good. But what happens if God's main priority is God and the glory of His name? And the way that He glorifies His name is through the salvation of sinners. Which does benefit you tremendously. Can we love God not because He 
is uh, just laser focused on us, but can we love God to find out who He really is, which is the supreme king of the universe, and realize that He did come seek us? Do you, I don't know, can you see the difference? One is a focus on me. The other is a focus on Him. And in that focus, getting it off of me and onto Him, is freedom. Because I don't have to measure everything all the time. I just want to honor and glorify the King. And the language here, Israel, I want you to know, I'm not doing it for your sake. I'm doing it for mine. For my namesake. But you get to be the greatest beneficiary ever. Which is a recipient of a new heart that I will put within you that will cause you to follow my statutes and my rules that you are so desperately trying to do and can't because the problem is the heart. Okay. Remember when Jesus talked to Nicodemus in John chapter 3? You don't have to turn there. Remember what Jesus told Nicodemus? Nicodemus says, we know you're a man that comes from God. Nobody can do these signs unless he came from God. And Jesus says, if you want to go to heaven, you've got to be born again. 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says that if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are made new. The solution to Mark chapter 7, where Jesus says it's not what goes in, it's what's coming out that defiles a person. What Jesus is saying is our hearts are the issue. Not all the rules that you keep, it's your heart that is the issue. You have to have a changed heart. And the only way that heart gets changed, the only way you get a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone, is through Jesus Christ. You cannot manufacture it yourself. You cannot make the heart pliable. You have to have the power of the Holy Spirit that takes that old stony heart and replaces it with a new one. So Jesus in Mark 7 is giving all of them a, a preview of what's coming in this new covenant. Now, I don't have time, I think, this morning to really go into this, but look at verse 19. Jesus says, well, verse, the latter half of verse 18. Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart? When you eat that food, it doesn't go into the heart. It goes into the stomach and is expelled. It is eliminated. Literally in Greek, he's saying it goes to the latrine. And then in parentheses, Mark does something here that the other gospel writers do not do. There is a parenthesis, thus he declared all foods clean. Now that is really worth talking about because the early church struggled with this. The early church really struggled with it. You and I don't struggle with it. We make jokes. I make jokes. I like to eat bacon. But the early church struggled. So Mark is writing, remember, probably to the persecuted church at Rome, with Peter talking to him. And some, some of the commentators say this is probably directly from Peter. 
hey, Mark, put this in there. This is where this is where Jesus, we didn't know it at the time. They clearly didn't know it at the time because they had to get Jesus into the house and say, uh, Jesus, could you explain to us what you mean that because all our lives we've been taught this ceremonial law is what we got to do. That's what we've been taught our whole lives. What do you mean it doesn't make us clean? What do you mean keeping these rules don't work? And Jesus is like, you still don't understand. And Peter is remembering that because in Acts chapter 10, remember when he was at Cornelius' house and the vision of the animals coming down on the blanket? You remember about four years ago preaching through the book of Acts? And, and the vision in the vision, God says to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter very piously says, not so, Lord, I have never eaten anything unclean. And God tells him, do not call what I have made unclean. And it really wasn't so much about the food as it was Cornelius down in the house, who is a Gentile. Because it took them ten years before they ever accepted Gentiles into the church. Jesus told them to go in all the world and preach the gospel. They just assumed it meant Jewish people. There weren't any Gentiles in the church. It took them forever to figure it out. They, they, and God in His patience and His mercy helped them along in that. So Peter learns... I can eat this food, but do you recognize how hard that would be? Because Leviticus is pretty clear. You can't eat that stuff. And it's also pretty clear. You're not supposed to be around those Gentiles. And now Jesus inaugurating the new covenant is revealing not that the dietary laws were wicked and evil when he declares all foods are clean. He is illustrating this is the dawn of a new covenant and I gave the first one. And the reason God gave those dietary laws and the fabric laws and all of that was because in the Old Testament under the nation of Israel, God was demonstrating the separateness of His people. And He didn't want them eating the same foods as the rest of the world. He didn't want them doing or living or intermarrying with the rest of the world. He was demonstrating, these are my people. This is what separate, separated to God looks like. And he did that for thousands of years. Now Jesus is coming as the Savior, and he's saying, this is now going worldwide to the whole world. And when it does, the kingdom of God, as it advances, this issue of the dietary law is no longer necessary. Because we're going to have Gentiles come into the faith. But this was a this was a verse 19 was a major issue. So Mark putting it in there is important for us to recognize. It's also important theologically to say, how come God said to do it this way in Leviticus and then Jesus said not to? There's an it's important to understand what what is going on. It's also important to understand that the law of God is good. What God set down as the law for Israel was good. It wasn't evil. It was good. But in the New Covenant, Jesus is demonstrating through the food law that this is going out to everybody. So that's why that's in there. So, what is the moral of today's lesson? Your heart is wicked. And it needs changed. And it can only be changed 
by Jesus giving you a new heart. Now, some people will get into, well, if I'm a Christian now, I no longer have any wickedness in me. Um, I'm not sure if you've noticed, but you're still having something wrong with you in your flesh. Now, that's, that's a, uh, that's a, that, is a, that is a whole deeper conversation. But this morning, what I want to say is, for anybody here and anybody watching online, that God does know your heart, and without Him, your heart is wicked. You need a new heart. And that new heart is only by calling on the name of the Lord that you would be saved. By saying, Jesus, save me from my sin. Save me from this wicked heart. Give me a new heart like you promised in Ezekiel. So, let's all stand up. You're going to be dismissed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. God, I pray that we would love it. That we would be drawn more and more deeper into the truth of your word. Lord, I thank you for the Holy Spirit who helps us every day. Who walks alongside us as our comforter. Teaching us. Showing us things to come. Lord, we thank you. You have not left us as orphans. We are not helpless. You are with us. You are an ever-present help. We thank you for the new birth and being born again and new creations. That we didn't do that on our own. You did that. And we thank you for it. God, we ask that you would help us this week. That we would shine like lights. That we would not try to walk in our own strength. But Lord, walk in yours. We thank you for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, you are officially dismissed. For those of you that can stay and help us, that would be great. Thank you.